Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Also accepting real estate donations. NBA veteran J.J. Redick has seen it all in his more than 14 years in the league. Now on the Old Man and the Three podcast, Redick and co-host Tommy Alter bring listeners a behind-the-scenes look inside the NBA and beyond. Listen free on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your shows. Check out the scores starting lineup. Molly and Hall, mornings 5 to 9. The Bernstein and Rahimi Show, middays 9 to noon. Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2. The Parkinson Spiegel Show, afternoons 2 to 6. Followed by Joe O, 6 to 10. And score overnights with Les Grobstein till 5 a.m. Only on Sports Radio 670, The Score. Live from the Hyundai Studios. Presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We are WSCR in HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. A Radio.com Sports Station. The Score. This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. Steve Rosenblum. We suck, so your self-quarantine doesn't have to. Mark Grody. I think there will be lasting derivatives of this once we get through it, and hopefully we will, um, with minimal damage, that um, people will be more aware, honestly, of washing their hands. and um, good thing. And apparently wiping. Apparently wiping. They suck, so you don't have to. They can do what they have to do. They know what they have to do. Now they don't have any problem getting it done. Founding members of the WB Club. Wake and bake. Come on. Where's Toby? Well, I'm practicing, you know, social distancing, and I have a few tips for everybody, you know. You know, no sharing pipes or joints things like that the three words that describe this show and i quote stink stank stunk it's saturday suckage on the score we should be 670 wsuk uh, we need Bears. music brandon <laughs> we need like james dean from the eagles brandon you know what brandon this is perfect we have a new producer yeah. brandon uh-huh. fryer say hi brandon say hi to everybody how you doing it's good uh, we'll talk about your mom in a little while. We were on the mom show. Well, take it easy. Were you, were you told that the James Dean music comes in, the Eagles version of James Dean comes in after all that? Or were you no? The Bears. Mm. Wow. You were doing so well, and now you suck. This is Saturday. It's clear, this it's clear is that. Last, um... week, last week, remember, Mark, we had. We had a producer. We had a big long setup for for um, one of our Waynes, and that was the Wayne that canceled. And then we thought the other Wayne canceled, and that was our that was just a classic moment in Saturday Suckage. So here we are. Who Saturday produced us? Last, was that Trash Panda last week? I don't remember. No, that was not Trash Panda. Um, Who was it? That that I don't know. I forgot. This really sucks that I forgot our producers. This is Brandon, going. Great. It, it was Sean. It was Sean. Last week? Oh, so it Sean was Anderson. Sean. So Sean clearly trained Brandon. <laughs> oh yeah, Stifler. Right, Stifler. We did learn about Stifler's mom. It was kind of an obvious thing to do. So, yeah. Is Stifler the one that left you the notes, Brandon? Yeah, that, those are the ones where I got the notes from. But I, I don't want to put it all on him. Well, you, you did. Just did. Yep. So that's the way. Hey, we. One of the things we do on the show, Brandon, is we like to throw people under the bus so you just <laughs> no, did it we're just no we're not throwing i'm fine with bus. it i'm fine with it yeah we're no it's just, okay we're all friends you know it's okay we're, we're just heightening 
Steve threw you under the bus, and now you're throwing Sean <laughs> under the bus. And I'm throwing everybody under the bus by talking about throwing people under the bus. <laughs> hey, I, I, hey, I got that James Dean music. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> there you go. That's better for you. This is the one. This is the show. Hey, good morning. Welcome in. It's Saturday Suckage. Of course it is. That is just too perfect. Brandon, nicely. Nice rally. That's that's great. Nobody. Uh, I, we just hope nobody important is listening. Mark, how are you? Steve, I am, I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Looking forward to What are we doing today? What do we got cooking, man? We got to get into it after that bumpy show. start. We're going to do a radio show today. Absolutely. Let's talk about Chicago sports. Let's go. Okay. At 11.40, we will have Jay Zawoski of the Madhouse podcast on, also executive producer of the Bernstein and Rahimi show. Um, The Hawks lost last night, and that was a good thing in some ways. I'll show you. And the Bulls lost last night. We'll talk about them. And that was a good thing. What? And and I, I, yeah, see, that's the way it goes. And the Bears in an on Ryan Pace spasm of discipline and sanity, the Bears did not trade for Carson Wentz. So we'll talk about that, and you will give us your impressions of Sean Desai and how that played out and where they should go with the quarterbacks. And we're going to do what Mark heard. I don't know what's in what Mark heard, but we're going to do that. And... And we're going to do, what are you doing, Wagner? And we have a wonderful movie anniversary that comes right back to the score. And we're going to do that. But first, I want to say that you started you started the trend, the meme. You started the whole thing from last week. We were talking about the Cubs signing Jake Arrieta because they have no idea what else to do. Yeah. So they, right? They, they signed Jake Arrieta. Paid him $6 million to be, you know, with Jake Arrieta pitching zoo and maybe get five innings out of him and i don't understand how he's supposed to eat innings if it five innings is going to be an average but you brought up that jake arietta moment and i want to and it became a thing all week brandon fryer do you have that do you want to play that the mark on play it for mark from mark by mark from a week ago mark do you have that this is pre-Clubhouse, when they, you know, redid the whole Clubhouse and it became, you know, this beautiful workout facility and everything. Before then, we used to all assemble in this dreary, bad basement of a press room. I'm sure you've been in there, Steve, many times. You remember, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, that yeah, basement. Yeah, the like, cave. The cave. The cave, that where we would where the Cubs would conduct all their press conferences and literally, you know, pipes ahead of you, there would be dripping occasionally. It was dreary. It smelled like your basement or your shed. It was that bad. And this is not hyperbole. I am not exaggerating. But for some reason, Jake Arietta moved his Pilates machine into that room, probably because there wasn't enough space to put it anywhere else because the facilities at Wrigley Field sucked until they didn't. And we, mm-hmm. we would be conducting our pregame pressers with Joe Madden or whomever was the manager. And, well, Joe Madden. And Jake Arietta would literally be working out on a Pilates machine during the press conferences. <laughs> like, it was like, hey, guys, don't mind me. And, yeah. okay, we won't mind you as long as you don't mind us because... We're conducting a press conference. And you know what? We might even be asking about you, which is really awkward. Hey, what happened to Jake Arrieta in the sixth inning? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that that was another great Jake Arrieta moment. And that picture was everywhere, Mark. That picture was everywhere. That of Jake doing his Pilates and smirks on reporters' faces as they're in the cave. That was it. You were you were prescient. You started the whole thing. I think so, and I was right, wasn't I? Like that wasn't. Yeah. Again, I didn't exaggerate at all. He was in there, and 
life went on. I mean, it was noticed and there were smiles, but then the the press conference would go on with, you know, with with hard questions being asked about whether it was about probably wasn't any really hard questions being asked about Jake because he was so good, but other teammates and so I don't know. So so Arietta was probably collecting intel that he did or didn't want during those press conferences, but yeah, that that happened and Jake from the pictures I've seen of Jake now in spring training, he looks like he's in, in still as good a shape, but guess what? There's plenty of room in that clubhouse. And Jake was around when the, the clubhouse was renovated. So he, he must, that might be why he's back because he's got all his equipment is still there. He's still, he's got his own workout room in the clubhouse. So it's, it's going to be, it is tailor made for the area to return. Yeah. But uh, they needed a bigger clubhouse just to house his, his dig me swagger and there was so much of that that it's a tremendous thing but again as we talked last week whatever you swagger you have is largely based on what you're doing at the moment whatever you may have done and whatever he may have done um, guys may look up to that he's got he's got a lot of experience he's got a lot of the road to his success, the way he came from the Orioles with those numbers and then became Jake Arrieta, capital letters, Cy Young, most untouchable pitcher in baseball in 50 years, that kind of stuff. That's tremendous. But he's a guy with a five ERA and, a, and a, you know, trying to get five innings out of him. And, and there you go. You know, I think Jed Hoyer made a really good point this week. And you were, you were, you've been watching this along with all of us. But listening to Jed Hoyer with uh, Dan Bernstein and Leila Rahimi, talking about that lineup, the heart of that lineup, if they play to the back of their baseball card, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, then this, and Contreras, this is altogether different. You can probably, they believe they in this division, certainly, they can out-hit that 90-mile-an-hour pitching. So I think he made a really good point, and the idea of them going to, I can't tell if I'm being gaslit from the idea of, well, everybody wants a 100-mile-an-hour rotation, arm after arm after arm. Basically, that's a White Sox bullpen. Yeah. And they're going 88-90, 88-90, that kind of thing, and Jake Arrieta is the outlier at maybe 93, maybe 92. And I can't believe I can't. I don't know if I'm being gaslit or if, if going the other way of zagging when everybody every hitter's used to 100 miles an hour, and now you're getting your fastball is 10 miles per hour slower, is going to affect hitters the way every hitter would talk about being screwed up the day after facing a knuckleball pitcher. Just it'd be great. It, it'd be great if the Cubs had the rotation that was the outlier, but that's what it would be. It would be the the rotation that doesn't throw hard that works in Major League Baseball. Most rotations have guys that throw hard, whether it's in the starting rotation or in the bullpen, and, and the Cubs do have hard throwers in the bullpen. But, yeah, it'd be in theory, it'd be great, but like if you looked at it, Objectively, you'd have to say, nah, that is not ideal to have guys to not have the guy that throws mid to high 90s. And you're right, Arietta once did that, and, and Arietta's even there. Who knows what kind of velocity Arietta's going to even have this year. As far as like the position players hitting to the back of their baseball cards, that's another thing we've been saying for the last couple of years. So I think that that is, <laughs> you know, that's just something you say if you're Jed Hoyer, and I don't blame him for saying it. It's the right, I'd say it too. Hey, if these guys do what we know they can do, it's going to be great. But you could probably go back and find that quote from Theo Epstein or even Jed Hoyer in the last couple of years. And that's why they have been breaking down the core. That's why they let Kyle Schwarber go where, you know, go away. Chris Bryant in trade talks, you know, and so you have a situation where you've just got a few guys that are still part of the core. And yeah, of course, if they do what we were told that they can do, what we've seen them do, then great. But there is no evidence that that's coming back anytime soon. The that's true, but every who knows what they find. Javi Javi Baez was talking about. I need the video. He's going to be able to have the video. He relied on that and. Uh, Jed Hoyer had said during the interview with uh, Bernstein and Rahimi that, that he didn't realize it was such a big deal with Javi. So there's, there's a big piece of hope 
and you, a lot of players have come to rely on that so much so that it becomes a, it, it's not even a superstition, it, it's just part of an addiction actually because you need it to keep going, you need it to keep going. It is a big help and, and, and you know, Chris Bryant is, you have him stay healthy, Wilson Contreras, I still think, I, I, I don't know, I still think of the, they're going to sign Javi, they're going to trade Bryant and they're going to, and, and yet Wilson Contreras probably remains the best trade piece, likely trade piece, because he's a catcher who can hit. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. No maybe doubt. I mean, that's a, ideas. he's a, he's a valuable guy. He's still young enough. He's, he's a great athlete. We all know about that. So he, he's definitely a valuable piece. I just don't know what is of value anymore. I mean, I think the, the, the you Darvish thing tainted all of that, right, with what they got back. I mean, you get you did get a starting pitcher in Zach Davies, but not exactly one that you're going to win because of. And then a bunch of guys who might work out once they get out of high school. So w- what exactly are the Cubs going to get for anybody at this point? I mean, like, they can't even – the thing about Chris Bryant – there just isn't interest right now. The Cubs aren't keeping Chris Bryant around right now because they've changed their minds. There just isn't interest. Like the Mets thing, that was kind of a sham. And even when we had Wayne of the Randazzos on last week, he made it very <laughs> clear that nobody in New York cared. Like that it was like, okay, we know who Chris Bryant is. We know what he's done, but what does he have exactly? So there's nobody willing to give up anything. So the Cubs did it once where they traded – a Cy Young candidate from last year, New Darvish, and basically you, you didn't you didn't get the value that you you should have gotten for a top-notch starting pitcher, duh. So, what are you going to get for trading any of these other guys? Can the Cubs continue to afford to get nothing back? And I think that that's where they are. I think that's where they are with any of these guys because it's not like it's not like Baez is out of the conversation for being traded. I mean. It, it seems like they're going to try to lock him in just because they talked. It seems like they came seriously close to doing it last year before things came undone. But there are no untouchables on the team. I would say Rizzo's probably the closest to it, and that just has to do with his connection to the team. His value is still real, and his relationship with Jed Hoyer, who at every stop of his life, Jed Hoyer <laughs> has made sure that Anthony Rizzo is on whatever team he is generally managing. That's true. That's true. I, right. I think he's he's a yeah. When you get to certain certain veterans, you realize they're they're of more use, of greater use, of more importance to your team. Yeah, that's part of the what I talked about being gaslighted. Cup fans being gaslighted because Tom Ricketts and and Crane Kenny and in various appearances on the radio, they just tell you, well, seventy percent of our revenue comes from in fan in the ballpark, fans in the ballpark, game day stuff. Well, that's fine. That doesn't mean you're not a billionaire. It doesn't mean the the family trust that owns this team aren't multi-billionaires. You have the money to spend if you want to spend it. And they've elected to take the stance that they want to be on the, the Addison off-ramp of the Kennedy with a tin cup and, and a sign, and that's the way they're going to go about it. And yet they'll tell you, well, we think we can compete in this division of our lineup turns around and, and our guys and our defense is better. And I get that with that kind of pitching. With 88, 90 mile an hour pitching, ground ball pitchers, you have your defense is good. You get out of the inning, you, you get out of more innings, and that's that's fine. So I agree that the Darvish trade is is part of the gaslighting that I don't quite understand, and I'm not sure they've done any made any other moves to rectify it other than hey, trust us. And I I, I also come back to this because I give Jed Hoyer along with Theo tremendous amount of credit for being for having vision they found the loopholes when they were in Boston they found the the workarounds they found them they you know Jake Arrieta came here in the first place the Scott Feldman trade it was all right sign the guy sign a pitcher Scott sign Scott Feldman he has three good months trade him to a contender get whatever you can whatever hope you can get in trade and that's how Jake Arrieta came back, and now Pedro Strope is back, right? So the Scott yeah. Feldman trade is the Scott <laughs> Feldman trade is back. Oh, but I love it. That's yeah. you know they found the workarounds, and however you were going to get extra draft picks by 
signing a guy at a particular time and, and whatever, all, all that stuff. And then those loopholes were closed. So the only one of the ways that you can seek an advantage in a market is going the opposite way, finding some find do something nobody else is doing. So in this arms race to get to 100 miles an hour with every arm on your staff, now suddenly, may, maybe this will work. I don't know. There's a whole lot of spikes and numbers and analytics and common sense tells you, no, high fastballs that the Cubs could never hit them, and that's how come they never won a second World Series. That People figured that out. The Dodgers showed them how to do it afterwards, and that's what everybody was doing. That's why they signed Jock Peterson, because it was never anything that he could hit high fastballs, and Kyle Schwarber couldn't, and that's what people were throwing at the Cubs. But this whole idea of, well, we're going to throw so damn slow that you'll never catch up to it, that you'll never be able to time it, is an interesting... I'm going to give Jed Hoyer credit for being able to to play against type, but play... But, but completely stay in his lane of we're going to find a way around this. We're going to, what's the secret we need to uncover? Maybe that's it. I don't know. Well, Hendricks has figured it out. You know, he's figured out how to be a soft tossing pitcher and have yeah. high success doing it. I don't think that this was Jed Hoyer saying, here's the philosophy we're going to have. We're going to, we're going to do something that nobody else is doing. And we're going to go, I think that this is just what he has had to settle for this year, had to settle for the trade that he made because he found a trade partner for you, Darvish, and they threw in Zach Dave. I don't think that Jed Hoyer was like, you know what? Give me this type. I want this type. I want the Zach Davies type. I think that's just the way it worked out. I think that like with many teams, when you have a relationship with a guy who's no longer on your team, that relationship doesn't go away, hence Jake Arietta. So I don't think that that was a nostalgia move. I think it was there was a relationship there. Arietta wanted to be here. The Cubs needed arms. They need people to fill the rotation. So why the hell not take a shot on Jake Arietta? The Alec Milsing, he's in play. So that's part of the what they can afford or what they could do. So in other words, this is not a premeditated move. I also think, too, that as far as the gaslighting is concerned, I think that when the Cubs are expressing hope and they can compete in the division and this team can still be something this year, I think that what that means is that the Cubs don't think the fans can handle hearing anything else right now. That they don't think they can say, after having done it when they did it in 2012, 2013, and 2014, I don't think the Cubs feel comfortable going to the fan base and saying, guess what, we're breaking it down again and we're not really concerned with winning this year. They did that. I don't think they feel they can afford to do it. And then they literally don't think they could feel that they can afford to do it because if they really are depending on 70% of their revenues being because of Wrigleyville and people coming into the stands and hanging out and having fun, if that is true, then they can't afford to tell fans that the product's not good because they need the damn fans there once the fans are allowed again. All right, well, they eventually you get exposed. You know, they're being transparent and they're lying is what you're, think, what you're saying. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, you're saying, like, the lying part is that they think they can compete. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose you could put it that way. I mean, most teams aren't going to. As long as Pittsburgh's in your division, you can compete. (laughs) Yes, and Cincinnati. Hey, back to the bad old days for the Reds, too. So you got two, and that's why, I mean, I hate it when we talk about, in any sport, when you talk about your team being good because the rest of the division sucks, that's boring, and I hate it. Right. And this is Saturday second, so that's certainly all a regular topic here. So speaking of sucking, the Bulls did, and it was great. And and there's a good reason. And I'm not even talking about rooting for them to lose in a higher draft pick. There's there's just stuff that that happened that um, that I thought was was a positive. So we will Stevie Sunshine and Mark Grody will discuss that on Saturday second. Later in the hour, we'll have Jay Zawaski coming up to talk about the Hawks, who also had a wonderful loss, and uh, <laughs> and we'll discuss that with with Jay. And Dave the Cat is manning the phones in case we have a breaking phone call. Our phone number, 312-644-6767. You can also use that to text us, where many people noted the, the suck, the Saturday suckage, appropriately Saturday suckage, 
opening with our new producer. Our Tech Zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at RosenHyundai.com. This is Saturday Suckage, of course. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Philadelphia will just put the ball in play with five seconds to go, and this game is over. But the Bulls are going to lose this game. But, Bill, I'll tell you what, I'm very proud of this team. Yes. Yes. Chuck Swirsky, Bill Wennington here on The Score. You're home for Bulls basketball, the only place you can get the local call last night. They're proud of that team. And you know, I get it. I got it. Welcome in, welcome back. Saturday Suckage, Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody with you. The Wake and Bake Club will be called to attention later on during What Are You Doing, Wegner. We'll have Jay Zawoski talking Hawks later on this hour. Mark, here's what, you know, we watched the Bulls game last night. I was going back and forth between the Bulls and Hawks, and they were so similar in what was going on and then what happened. But what... I continually came back to, on ESPN, they had that score bar at the bottom, and it wasn't just Sixers-Bulls. It was their records and standing in the conference. Sixers, first and east. Bulls, ninth and east. I thought, wow, the Bulls are sticking with these guys. Maybe they got overlooked. I don't know. I know the Bulls kept going, kept moving. The Bulls were having a horrible shooting night from three uh, Wendell Carter Jr. had, he was just being as aggressive as possible offensively because he had no chance against Joel Embiid and didn't seem to be getting much help. But I saw the hope in that it was close right down to the end with that first place team in the East, against that first place team in the East. And then you saw pedigree, talent, whatever it was, roster construction. You saw what it was that made the difference. And I thought, that's where the hope is. The fact that it was close down to the end, the Bull had, Bears, Bulls had all kinds of shooting trouble, made all kinds of bad decisions. That's where the hope lives. That was a really good loss to, for them to see this is where we need to get to. That's what I came yeah. away with. Yeah, I I agree with what you said, and it showed that the Philadelphia or the Bulls have a budding superstar in Zach Levine. It just so happens that the superstar for the Philadelphia 76ers in Joel Embiid is better right now. I think I had that moment as, as if you as if he didn't have a ton before that, but when Joel Embiid hit hit his 49th and 50th points of the night, which was a step back in the corner yeah. near the three. He didn't quite make it a three, but when he hit that, and it was all him, and he dribbled to that spot, no passing at all, and it was just him creating and then making that shot, I was like, ain't nothing you could do about that. Their superstar is better than our budding superstar. And it's like, okay, all right. I mean, what are you going to do? There's, there's not a lot you can... You can do about that, and yeah, and, and the the Bulls, Chuck is right. They they are to be proud of at this point. I think that that's a really low bar, but I guess that's kind of where we are in the development and the rebuild of the Bulls. It started out as a Wendell Carter game, and it turned into a Joel Embiid game because I I, I really liked what Carter was doing. Like Carter was was aggressive early, hitting a lot of shots. He even hit a three at one point. It might have been his only three attempt, and he made it last night, and he looks good, or he looked good for a while on defense until he didn't. Um, so <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, I think you characterize it pretty well that it just this is a terrific team in Philadelphia. This is a guy, Joel Embiid, who, as it was pointed out last night, is only in his fifth year in the league, even though it feels like he's been around forever. But... Embiid is an MVP candidate at this point. So then, what is it you see in Levine that I don't, that you think has budding superstar potential? I see yeah, scoring. I, I see yeah, scoring. I don't see defense. I don't well, see did you see, taking... I mean, how is that different from, like, Derrick Rose? Derrick Rose was a superstar scorer who could go inside, and actually Levine can shoot from the outside better. How is he different from Derrick Rose in that regard, other than not being um, – 
maybe not as quick. But then again, I think he is. I mean, his acceleration is ridiculous. He is a bad defender. But there's a, like I keep using Derrick Rose as the example because I no, think he's exempt. That's a really good one. Yeah, I like right? that. Right? Like, Derek how is Rose he different? Did. How is he that different from Derrick Rose? I mean, or and I I say Derrick Rose though because there's a lot of players like that. Like we're in the Bulls bubble. And so we're focused on him, but there's a lot of guys, for better or for worse, in the NBA that are terrific scorers, but not necessarily defensive players. I, yeah, I just don't know how different the game is. And, and you could make an argument that Levine's offensive game is better than that that of Derrick Rose. Like, he's perfected that that step-back three, which is such a great weapon. There you are. You, you're in two range. I'm going to take a step back here, and I'm going to be off balance. I'm going to make a three. And then Levine has that thing, too, where – couple things where he can drive to the basket anytime he wants. He doesn't overdo it because he want to keep guys honest and he can accelerate and he's as fast as anybody. And it's pretty to watch. And then Levine also has that thing where like last night he wasn't particularly good throughout the evening, but when the fourth quarter comes, all of a sudden he's money and he's making shots and there's a one hand jam over Danny green. There's a three pointer. He did miss some shots too in the clutch, but suddenly he's got that, that thing where it doesn't matter what he does for three quarters. He's here for the fourth. Yeah, it's interesting about – I never thought of it in the terms of comparing Derrick Rose. I mean, last night, Levine had the had three shots – misses the last three shots. The ball goes off his leg out of bounds, and that kind of – in the last two minutes, they reviewed it, it went off his leg, and that turns – that possession turns the game – turns the game around. It gives the Sixers a, a, an opportunity they took advantage of that the Bulls just weren't able to overcome. Uh, I know – I guess the first thing I think of is that Derrick Rose was, he was certainly more powerful. Whatever their abilities to, to go to the net, to the... Stronger. To the he was more yeah. of a bull uh, yes. the, as in the animal. Yeah. Right. And and yet, you're right, Levine's a better outside scorer, and Rose had better teammates, better players around him. Yeah. Allowed him to, to, to do that, to be that way. Levine does not have those guys. They've not grown into being that kind of supporting cast, if I may use that yeah. phrase. So if no, Rose was, let's say, hey, if Levine was a rookie this year and he was doing what he's doing, what would you say about him? You'd be like, that's a budding be, superstar. Be great. Yeah, it would. Yeah. It would. I would because he could score in the league and he's not, he's not intimidated. And, and that was the thing about um, Wendell Carter Jr. last night against Embiid. He wasn't intimidated. He also got no help. See, Billy Donovan was talking about this is, this is where my hope dies one of the places my hope dies, is that Billy Donovan says the Bulls made a ton of mistakes guarding Levine, uh, guarding Embiid. Well, God, the guy had 50 points, 17 of 26 from the floor, 15 of 17 from the line, 17. Re- no kidding they had a ton of pro- How do you not find the biggest player on the court? And like, how can you not double the biggest guy on the court when he's got the ball? I just... That was what I don't understand. I can't believe they weren't coached to do that. I I can't believe they all went brain dead. That's the part that I don't understand, that an entire team says, oh, we're not going to worry about that MVP candidate over there. How? <laughs> How? I don't know. No, yeah, it is silly strategy. There, there were... There were a few bad moments for the Bulls last night. I mean, l- letting anybody score 50, no matter how good they are, is bad. There was also one possession where Philadelphia had five offensive rebounds. That's not very good. So <laughs> the Bulls, typically a good defensive or a, a good rebounding team, period, had had some bad moments in that regard. And I do have a question, too, about the broadcast last night. Does Richard Jefferson yet know who Ryan Archie Diacono is? Because he, had, he was just struggling to know who he was, to pronounce the name. Um, he asked at one point if he could just call him Archie. And I said, I, I could have told him, hey, we call him Arch around here. So it was uh, very interesting watching Richard Jefferson struggle with this unknown Ryan Archie Diacono. Yes. And playing in his hometown where Villanova, won, he was the most outstanding player. <laughs> right. and he was in Philadelphia right. and he'd yeah. done that before. And he was, and that was a, just a brilliant heads up play when he stole that inbound pass and, yeah, well, I, I don't know. It's either you asked the same thing. I think it was Bernstein tweeted out that his son, Jason, made the comparison of Richard Jefferson and A Rod. And there was a lot of foaming at the mouth and a lot of drooling about it. And 
And that was true. And there was a an audio a audio doppelganger. There was a similarity there. And the fact that Ryan Archidiakono's name was as unfamiliar to Richard Jefferson as the Sodfather, as Roger Bosser's name was to A-Rod, <laughs> just That's shows awesome. that professional yeah. broadcasters need a a uh, refresher course in like learning every name possible, how to pronounce it, and go from there. But you know, for athletes who are so complete and so detail-oriented, why wouldn't they do that in their professional jobs? And that's what separates some athletes who are broadcasters from others. Some yep. some guys go on their name, and I, Richard Jefferson was a big name in the NBA, so maybe Richard Jefferson can get by on being Richard Jefferson. But no. Um, so no. that's that's the answer. Never mind Ryan Archie Diacono when there's when there's Zach Levine to be concerned with. No, there's Jay Zawoski to be concerned with. We're going to do that next. We're going to talk Hawks next. And they had the same the same kind of hope in their loss. And we'll discuss that with Jay next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I got to know in the next period, how you going to do that hockey? This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. And Paquette dropped it back. They just... Here's it over to the other side. Here's a snapshot. Goal post. Oh, that hit the inside of the five, the near post. Kane to the other end, looking for help from to break it. Kane to spin around. He scores. Oh, roll the highlight film. Patrick Kane with a spectacular Savoie Fair spinorama. Oh, you Rosie. Rosie. Niederreiter? Niederreiter. Well, maybe we've lost you. <laughs> that was Pat Foley on NBC Sports Chicago last night calling the Patrick Kane spinorama. Had another terrific game. Kaner with that goal, a couple of assists, but the Blackhawks end up losing to Carolina 5-3 to because Niederreiter. Had a couple of goals and ended what was a three-game winning streak for the Blackhawks. I hear tipping and tapping in the background. Does that mean that Steve Rosenblum, the yeah, spinorama inventor himself, is there? Oh, oh, you're late. Okay. I am late. I'm late getting God, this show this. has been this bad. Woo. Yes, it has. It has sucks. And, it, and I would say getting old sucks. So my advice to everyone is don't get old because you spend a lot of time standing over the, the toilet trying to make <clears throat> something happen. So are we, have we gone to the score hotline yet, Mark, or are we going to do that now? No, no, no. I was given some of the details, and we heard the spinorama highlight of Patrick Kane yeah. come in, and I told the folks, the folks, that the Blackhawks lost 5-3, to three, and I will allow you to take it from here because, as they say on the inside the clubhouse, you have a very special guest on the line, don't you? We do. We do. The score hotline is presented by Alpamonte Ford, Alpamonte Ford and Melrose Park on North Avenue or ap4.com we're we are bringing you from the madhouse podcast jay zawoski jay thanks for joining us today eventually um thanks for having me i didn't need the play-by-play of your uh, dribbling issues but um i guess it's a natural follow-up to the bulls conversation am i right well we're we're givers not takers we're trying to share with people my best advice to anyone who's listening don't get old so work on that i right. found I found um, so much to just recoil about in the Blackhawks game, and yet I found hope that Hmm. here's what it was. They were, Carolina was just, okay, we're going to be, we're going to forecheck on you, and you're not going to get out of your zone. If you do, we're going to get back faster than you can get up the ice, and then we're going to take the puck. And we're going to own the puck, and for two periods, that's what it was. And after two periods... They were tied. And I thought, that's a pretty remarkable thing. And then I thought in the third period, pedigree, talent played out. Give us your take, you and James Naveau talking on the Madhouse podcast. What did you come away with by a a terrific team in Carolina in all areas of the ice against a Blackhawks team that really, uh, that's kind of where the bar is set, that team they lost to last night in my world. Right, and thank you for mentioning the Madhouse podcast. We did do an episode last night, so that's available now wherever you get your podcasts. Um, 
So last night's game was kind of what we imagined the entire season was going to look like, where <laughs> the Hawks are just sort of overmatched. They're, they don't have the depth. They don't have the talent to keep up with the top teams in hockey. And they might hang around a little bit. And then when the smoke clears, the better team wins, right? And, and that's exactly what happened last night. So it's not last night that concerns me. That's the Stanley Cup contender. John Cooper, the coach of the defending Stanley Cup champions, was talking about the Hurricanes the other night, just saying how relentless they are, how fast they are, how they're so tough to defend and all those things. What concerned me more was the two games against Detroit. Detroit is horrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, horrible. They are historically <laughs> awful, okay? And they gave the Hawks fits. And yeah, the Hawks won both those games. But if you watch those games start to finish, you know... The Hawks had no business winning either of those games, and they did. Um, so that's a little bit more my takeaway is, are we starting to see the correction on the Blackhawks that we were thinking the season was going to look like, and they sort of surprised us? Are they coming back to earth now? And I think a big part of that is the power play, and who would have thought that uh, losing Andrew Shaw, of all things, would have been such an impactful thing because his, his impact on the power play was immeasurable. Just going to retrieve a puck, that's a big part of a power play. And they don't really have anyone now that Shaw's out that's willing to do that. So, the, the, obviously, there is always going to be good in in Patrick Kane and what he did last night, the spinorama goal, which was just awesome. And mm. the, the two assists to go with that. And again, he is having a terrific season. Top five in scoring. And it all it, it comes around to, to Kane again. That's an extremely valuable asset. Is there any chance that if the Blackhawks start to go the other way and that this revelation of goodness is not real, could they trade Kane or is Kane is, is, is the blueprint to have him around when the Blackhawks are good again? I think because of how quickly a lot of the young guys on this team have emerged in this season, uh, Kurashev, Suter, Bodan, Carlson, uh, Adam Boquist is back from injury. I think they're a little bit closer than maybe they expected because all these guys have worked out pretty well. I, I think Kurashev has been the most impressive. I haven't, I didn't have a ton of um, expectations for him. I knew he had some offensive game, but he's come in from day one. Actually, I think day two because I think he was scratched for the opener. But uh, day two and just looked the part, looked ready to go, and he's supremely confident. He's great with the puck. He's got some speed. So I think that their window could open more quickly than we or they maybe expected. So if you're going to see, if this season starts to slip away, which it probably will, and I don't think that's a negative comment. I think it's just realistic. The guys who you can maybe see moved would be uh, the Kelvin DeHans of the world. You know, a veteran making $4.5 million with another year on his contract. Uh, I don't think you're going to see any of the core guys moved. I don't think that's likely. I think Carl Soderberg, who they signed uh, early this season, is another option. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's only making a million dollars. That's the kind of guy that a cup contender would look, like to add for a playoff run. Uh, Ryan Carpenter is another guy making only a million bucks who's a veteran who provides some depth to Stanley Cup contenders. I don't think if any moves are made, I'd be very, very surprised if a big, if a big name was shipped out. We're talking with Jay Zawoski here on The Score. Jay and James Naveau uh, bring you the Madhouse podcast. Subscribe to it. It's terrific insight into the Blackhawks. Jay also is the executive producer of the Bernstein and Rahimi show. Heard from 9 to noon right here on The Score. The big guys, by the way, Jay, have all no movement clauses. Right. It was. It's their... It's their choice of whether they want to leave. They don't seem to want to. And it may be a case like we were discussing with Jake Arrietty or Anthony Rizzo. It might be those guys have more value here for extending the, the thought, the process, the training. This is the way champions do it. This is what they do. And certainly Patrick Kane continues to do it at, at a high level. And I, wherever the Blackhawks are now, I watch a game like last night. I watch the power play. And I know it's it's one games when they, they've had trouble five-on-five. Five. They, they suck five-on-five five so often. I really I miss Kirby Doc. I want to see him five-on-five. Mm -hmm. five. I thought his playoff was such growth. The injury was such trouble. How? What do you expect to get out of him this year? What do you expect to see? What can you hope to see? 
Out of the Blackhawks or out of Doc? Sorry. Out of Doc. Uh, I don't. I don't think he's going to play at all. I think they're just going to totally shut him down, and and you hope that uh, when he is able to start, um, you know, getting on the ice and working again, that he can. That it's not a step back because, like you said, that step forward from the stoppage to the resumption of play. I mean, that was a different guy. He was one of the best Blackhawks on the ice, one of the best players on the ice for either team against Edmonton or against Vegas. He was awesome. And as soon as he starts converting some of those great scoring chances he gets, which he will, um, he's going to be unstoppable. And I think about, I find myself often daydreaming about this team and if Taves and Doc were healthy, what they might look like. And all of a sudden, when you think about that, hmm, you kind of think, wait a minute, this team might be pretty, pretty solid. I mean, they're in a playoff spot now, and yes, there's other teams with a lot of games in hand. Uh, or at least they were going into yesterday's game, uh, and they're and they're they're very competitive. If you add two top line centers, in Taves and Doc to this team, the conversation changes. I'm sorry, like that's they're a much better team that way. And I think one thing we haven't mentioned yet, which was a huge question mark hanging over this team, is what are they going to do in goal? And Kevin Lincoln has answered that question very quickly, and. You know, we're, we talk about correction. He'll probably come down a little bit from where he's at. And I think we've seen that a little bit lately. But that, to me, looks like a guy you can count on to be your number one starter. Am I missing something? Is there anything you see in his game that says he's not number one goalie caliber? Because I, I, every every game I watch, he looks the part. I never have thing, fear with him in net. No, the only thing I see is that he's got to defend the other team and Zadorov and Tahan as well. And that's a really tough call. <laughs> It's tough. It's tough to defend, you God, know, seven oh people on the other team. Oh my it, uh, Zadorov is Zadorov is is so interesting to me because there are moments where you're like, there's what they see, right? You see, uh, he's physical, he's big, he's he's got a pretty good stick, but then there's moments where it's like he's asleep on his feet. And when I see that, and I, Stan Bowman mentioned this a while back about how his biggest problem are the simple things, which tells me that he's thinking and not reacting, right? He's kind of uh, second-guessing every move he makes. He wants to be perfect. And when you think that way, you're never going to be perfect. I see a lot of that in Zadorov's game, a lot of hesitation, a lot of second-guessing, and that's why he gets caught in between a lot, right? I don't think it's a matter of speed. I don't think it's a matter of wanting to be physical. He seeks out hits. He's a guy who goes looking for hits. So I don't think that's it. I think it's just a question of, where am I supposed to be? Is this the right decision? Oh, crap, it's too late. The puck's in the net. <laughs> and part of that is, that's my biggest criticism of Cowan, is his defensive system is this man-to-man thing, yeah. which no other teams really employ. If you do that, you have to have fast defensemen. And the Hawks don't really have that, right? Even Adam Boquist, who is supposed to look the who looks the part and is supposed to be his offensive defenseman, he's not the fastest skater in the world. You saw him get blown by and pull a guy down in last night's game because he got beat. So it's not a criticism of Oakwood, it's just knowing your personnel. Does this defensive system fit the Blackhawks' personnel? And when I look at Calvin DeHaan and Nikita Zadorov, I see two sort of lumbering defensemen. I don't know if I want them chasing forwards all over the ice. Speaking of uh, Calvin DeHaan, he he assisted uh, Tavo Teravainen on a goal last night. He did. That um, was nice of him. Went, that was very nice of him. <laughs> what do you think of when you think of Te- Tevu Teravainen? And do you still hear from Blackhawks fans longing for Teravainen? Because he was all the bleep when he came up with the Hawks. Well, you hear from me pining for him every episode of the Madhouse podcast. Ah, yes. Yeah, you're going to make Jay cry. By yeah, the I'm, so. I have a, going back to the days of Tuomo Rutu, who was kind of like the first Tevo, uh, I, I've, always, I, I've loved Finnish players. I just like the way they play. I like the way they develop. I just like I like watching them on the international stage. Uh, and Tavo was one of my favorite Hawks. And for whatever reason, him and Q just couldn't figure it out. Um, no. And, you know, Tavo's gotten better since going to Carolina. There's no doubt. But that's, you know, he hit his prime. That's what happens. Uh, but that's the cost of a bad contract, right? You had to give up Tavo Teravainen to get rid of Brian Bickle. And that is, when you look back at all those cap sacrifices, that might be the one that hurts the most. God, that hurts. If you put Teravainen on this team right now, and you got Taves, I mean, I know it's different, because if you had Tavo, you wouldn't have picked... History changes. But the kid's only 26 years old. 
and he signed for four more years at a very reasonable 5.4 million. Uh, man, that is that that's to me that's the one that got away, and that's the one that hurts the most. He can play center, he plays wing mostly, but he can do everything. Uh, more defensively reliable than he gets credit for. Uh, that to me is the one that hurts the most. Jay, before we let you go, I didn't want to miss this opportunity that that the I'm Fat podcast that you and Rick Camp do, which is just a terrific, well done, and we can all relate to it. Tariq Cohen wants to start a restaurant with some requirements. I believe you guys saw this. Yes, and I wanted we did. You, and so share with the class what you saw and how you how you think what you think of this. Yeah. So if I'm remembering correctly, it was uh, it, it's for people who wear three X. 3X large shirts only. Yeah. That was kind of the, the requirements. Or yeah, 3X or bigger to get into the store, uh, into the restaurant. And that sounds <laughs> great, but what Rick and I always say is fatness is a mindset. It's not a body size, right? There's people who are skinny and rail thin who can eat a ton, and there's fat guys who have to punch out after, you know, 10 chicken wings. It's, <laughs> so it's not about appearances. So... Uh-huh. I just say, if, you, if I think his concept is, if I only let fat people in, they're going to eat more food and I'm going to make more money. I think just make the most gluttonous menu you can, and the people who are fat or fat at heart will come in and uh, and find you. I think that's that's the way to do it, Tariq. If I'm, if I'm advising, don't make it a body size requirement because that can fool you. That's not always the, the indicator of how much a person can eat. So Like, like we, it, we cook with Crisco, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or we'll fry anything. That could just be the name of the place. <laughs> you know, there's yeah, a place. Real lard. There's yeah. a place that me and Rick discovered in Lombard called I Love Fries. That's just the name of the place. And everything oh. there is French fry. It's poutine. It's it's chicken and waffles fries. But everything's served on top of fries. And that's the kind of place that fat people find. There you go. And that's what you get from the I'm Fat podcast. You get the gourmands of uh of great size, the girthsome gourmands, Jay Zawoski and Rick Camp. Jay, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I love doing it. I appreciate it. All right. Jay Zawoski, Madhouse Podcast, I'm Fat Podcast. He's fat. He's hockey. He's he's all things to all people. If you have food, if it's catered, Jay will come. All right, we'll take a break. We come back. I think we should do what Mark heard. Mark heard a lot of stuff this week. We should do what Mark heard. We're going to do that after this break on Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.